Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast. The podcast explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics and a little bit more besides. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele, and as Peter says, yes, when the mood takes us, sometimes we, we push the limits of our own remit, etc. This week, listeners, you might be delighted to know we're doing the lead story from issue 222 of Batman. that was published on the 21st of April, 1970. Why are you doing issue 222 of Batman, Dave Steele, you might be crying? Well, listeners, in the past, very recently, obviously, with an issue of Supergirl, which had a a slightly dated reference to the Beatles. And further beyond that, we we did an issue of Lois Lane that featured an appearance from 60s icon Twiggy. And as we're sort of going along in this podcast, we've accidentally sort of found ourselves commenting on some of the shifting cultural attitudes and forms that have happened. So mm-hmm. this is... Uh, this one's about, I think, as far as we were going to stretch the elastic <laughs> in our justification. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but we both really, really like the band that this story was inspired by. If you, I suppose, you could think of it as, you know, perhaps the Earth One equivalent of, you know, whoever this band were in Earth Prime, I suppose. Mm. You could say that. Mm-hmm. Which, again, maybe postulates that that issue of Supergirl took place on yet another Earth, but I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> We'll stop you right there. <laughs> yes. Do you want to tell everyone about what I think is our 20th twentieth <laughs> or 21st Neil Adams cover? I certainly shall. It's Batman, so there's a massive Batman logo at the top. Picture the scene. It's night. We appear to be in a graveyard. Mm. Because for there's a grave in the background lit moodily by a lantern, and there's a spade still sticking out of the ground. And there's a gravestone that just says R.I.P. Mm. Walking away from this scene, we seem to have four musicians. The one at the back has got a drum and is wearing a blue jacket. He has longer hair with some facial hair as well. The one in front of him, he looks like the quiet one. (laughs) Uh, He's carrying a guitar and he again is wearing a lighter blue kind of tunic. Looks like he's got a cravat on maybe or a tie and he's got longer Dark hair as well, again, a bit of uh, facial growth. And he has kind of military epaulets on his shoulders as well. Mm. Now, the one in front of him also appears to be wearing some kind of button-up, almost military-like tunic. And he has a case for some musical instrument under his arm. And again, he's he's got brown hair. And again, a bit of facial hair going on there too. And the one at the front has got this big tie-dye kind of psychedelic print tunic on, top on. Yeah, He has round glasses and he has a moustache. He's wearing tight blue trousers, but he has no shoes on. Yes. <laughs> oh, interesting. We'll come back to the significance of that, obviously. Indeed. Now, watching this mysterious scene are Batman and Robin. And Batman is saying, here they come, walking down the streets. Get the funniest <laughs> looks from everyone. <laughs> That's the wrong band. That's the wrong band, sorry. Batman is saying, here they come. One of them is dead, but which one? And Robin is at the very front of the cover, and he's holding up what appears to be a record album Mm. that features these four characters. And in psychedelic print on the record, it says, dead till proven alive. And Robin says, the clue is on their album cover. 
We should probably describe the illustration in the front of the record as well. Yeah. It shows the four men who we've seen walking from the graveyard. Three of them are facing us, but one of them has his back to us. Mm. There's actually a little bit of a goof there, but anyway, we'll come back to that. Yeah. So yes, if you're a Beatles fan, you will recognise that that cover is very similar to a photograph of the band on the back of the Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band LP. And you might be forgiven for thinking that the guy at the front of this little procession of people walking away from the grave looks a bit like John Lennon and one of the others looks a bit like George Harrison. You could be forgiven, Mm -hmm. but we shall see how it pans out. We jump into the story. Our first panel is a logo which says, Back Together Again, Batman and Robin. And a caption that says, Dead Dead Till Proven proven alive. Alive. And a tiny caption tells us... Story Frank Robbins, Art Irv Novick and Dick Giordano. Yes! DG! Superb! Mm-hmm. The master himself, my hero. Right, so, we have three story panels in this opening page. The caption for the first one says... A time at Hudson University when studying is the last thing on students' minds. Yes, yeah, so it looks like some of the kids are relaxing. There's a few boys with long hair and sideburns. Dick Grayson's at the front of the panel on the right. Very neat-looking open-neck collar and V-neck sweater. His pal next to him is a sort of letterman jumper with an H for Hudson, obviously. And they're sat around. We can see some speakers, hi-fi set up. There's a tape recorder, double spools. And there's a poster on the wall, which appears to have a stylized B, capital B, and a few (laughs) figures which look very like the ones we saw on the cover. Hmm. We'll come back to that. They're listening to the radio, and a voice is coming from the radio, and it's saying... Yay, kids! This is Ho Ho Ho, your jolly green DJ at XJL, with the newest poop on ye great Oliver Twist's mystery. Take the seventh groove on our boy Summer Nights. Spin at 78 RPM instead of 33, take it off on tape, and play back at 1 and 7 eighths IPS. Yes, Summer Nights, spelt with a K... Mm-hmm. This is obviously a picture of Jack and Ted on the beach, I would imagine, the cover of that album. <laughs> so the next panel, they've obviously followed the DJ's instructions. They're playing the tape recording backwards. And emerging from the speakers, we have something that says, which is obviously amazing. One of Dick Grayson's pals says, Yeah, that's where Glennon raps. You ain't got it if they ain't bought it. I'd know his voice at any speed. And the caption for panel three says, Even Dick, Robin Grayson, is swept up at the current campus fever as the playback moves at one and seven-eighth inch per second. And coming from the tape recording, we hear, Sure was a ball, Saul. Too bad it's over. This makes Dick comment, Hmm, who else could Glennon mean but Saul Cartwright? First panel of page two, then, it's a view from outside the, the dorm room that they're all in, and a different friend of Dick's is saying, At last, Dick the great sceptic breaks down. Now do you believe Charles dead? And then they're interrupted by a voice on the radio that says, We interrupt with a late blast. The twists are coming to Gotham City, maybe in a pink submarine, to prove that Saul is alive and well and living in old London town. So there we go. There's a couple of references there straight away. Pink submarine. Hmm. Interesting. The twists. Hmm. Panel three. Another one of Dick Grayson's pals says, Wow, if Saul is alive, and if only the twist could appear here at Hudson U. And the boy that Dick was talking to a moment ago says, Dick, your guardian Bruce Wayne is a big wheel in Gotham. Maybe he could swing it as a favour for you. The next panel's cracking. It's Dick ruminating, and in a little psychedelic splodge behind him, we see the the shape of 
of him and his Robin mask. It's it's nice. I love it. I love it to do that. You know. Yeah, huh? it's like Spider Man's half face kind of effect going on. Yeah, huh? same idea. And I think as I mentioned in the past on ages ago, one of the first GLAs I had as a kid was the Atom's wedding. Spoiler where you see everyone in civvies oh, and they're sort of superhero versions sort of looming up over them. Oh, amazing, yes. It's a similar sort of motif. But anyway, this close-up of Dick looking very moody as he thinks, as Dick Grayson, I have to play it cool, but as Robin, I'm really intrigued by this mystery. And then he says, I don't like to influence pedal fellas, but I'll give it a try. And the caption for the next panel then says, Later, at Wayne Foundation, where Bruce Batman Wayne handles his cover enterprises. Yes, we see Bruce reading a copy of the Gotham News, which is a headline, Alive or Dead, and shows a photograph of a big-haired, mustachioed gentleman in the caption, Saul Cartwright. He's reading this and thinking, As a major stockholder in Eden Records, this publicity has been boom business, but... As Batman, I don't want to be party to a hoax. The phone on his desk rings. Bruce answers, and the caption for the next panel says, As Dick relays his classmate's request. There's an interesting structure here because we see both of them on the phone and we get a nice jagged line down the middle separating them. I like that when it's used. It's a great device. Mm -hmm. Bruce is saying, I'd love to, Dick, but you know the four orphans are an independent bunch. They don't push easily. Could you invite them to be your guests while they're in Gotham? And then we arrive at the top of page three, and the conversation continues again with the sort of split showing the different locations where Dick and Bruce are at the moment. Dick is saying, Then give me a crack at persuading them. I'll come down special for the weekend. And then Bruce says in the other half of this panel, It'll mean reopening Wayne Manor. No room here in the penthouse for those mad mods. Okay, we'll do. And we get a similar shot as to what we had before of Dick, of Bruce Wayne thinking with his Batman alias looming behind him as he thinks, There's an added incentive with the twists under one roof. As Batman, I should be able to spot whether Saul is a phony. And then the large final panel of page three, under an almost psychedelic sky, we see a large aircraft arrived at Gotham Airport, surrounded by a group of happy-looking kids with beads and pearls and flowers in their hair, probably already a couple of years out of date by this point, I suppose. <laughs> There are TV cameras watching. We can see the, the musicians disembarking. There's a caption. T-Day. Pandemonium reigns at Gotham Airport as the elusive twists make their first public appearance in over a year. One flower child cries from the, the crowd. Hey, here they come. Orphans, we love you. And Saul's memory. And a TV commentator wearing headphones is speaking to a microphone standing on the platform next to his cameraman says... Stay close to your TV screens, folks. Our zoom lens brings you live a poor-by-poor close-up of the one and only Saul Cartwright. We arrive at the top of page four, panel one. We're watching the band arrive on television as we see Saul Cartwright. Closer shot of him. And to be fair, out of the four gentlemen in this story, he's the one that looks least like the people they're parodying. Before and here, brown hair. Big thick moustache which sort of joins into his sideburns. Mm-hmm. I can't think of Paul ever having a look like that. Anyway, no. he's in the process of seeing on the telly screen. Hi, folks. Sorry to disappoint my faithful mourners, but as you can plainly see... So, he's obviously okay. The caption for panel two. While parked away from the swirling mob behind a hangar... Yes, we're in the back of Bruce Wayne's big fancy limo. We can see Alfred in his chauffeur's cap in the front, turning around to watch what's going on, and we see Dick and Bruce looking at a picture of Saul on the in-car television. Dick is saying, Sure, looks like Saul. Sounds like him. But is he? And Bruce says, 
Dunno, Dick. Plastic surgery and voice training can do wonders. If he's a stand-in for the rumoured dead Saul... Caption for panel three. As a protective police cordon leads the harried twists through their ardent fans... Yes, we hear Bruce Wayne's voice coming from inside their big flashy vehicle, as he says. Which we may find out soon, Dick. Commissioner Gordon has extended my invitation to them. And we see Commissioner Gordon in the next panel as he ushers the Oliver Twists into the back of Bruce Wayne's big shiny Rolls Royce, because that's what it looks like. And as the musicians are climbing in, Commissioner Gordon waves them off, saying, They're all yours now, Bruce. Take him away. And Bruce replies, Thanks, Commissioner Gordon. Wayne Manor will give them the peace and privacy they'll need between public appearances. And then a slow dissolve, the caption for the final panel of page four. After running an adoring screaming gauntlet, they enter the serenity and quiet of staid Wayne Manor. Yes, a nice panel. One of Peter's favourite patented Dutch tilts. Yay! You see Alfred with an amazing comb-over holding a couple of suitcases that have stickers on him saying Espana and Roma. You see that Bruce is helping with luggage too. There's one that says Paris. And we see the a good shot of the Oliver Twists, looking very much, obviously, like the Beatles in the cover of Sergeant Pepper. Glennon says, Coo! Posh like Buckingham Palace, eh, lads? And the next one of them says, Glennon, you always were a pushover for Posh, weren't he, Hal? And then the other one, who, as Pete commented at the start, looks a bit quieter than the others and is a bit thinner about the face and <laughs> has a slightly neater moustache, he replies, No, and you're such a haven for austerity, Benji. Right, Saul? And Saul replies, oh, Reminds me of a bloody mausoleum. And the first panel of page five is a, a shot of Bruce and Dick with their superhero alter egos hovering behind them in a psychedelic swirl as Bruce thinks, Funny reaction. Those boys could buy Buckingham Palace. And Dick thinks, Saul talks like he's just risen from the grave. Saul, with this buffoon here, do you look more like Barry Gibb than, than anyone else? I thought he looks a bit like Jason King. Yeah. Or a mastermind from the uh, John Bourne X-Men run. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm just sort of trying to think of pop stars. He looks like a kind of <laughs> mid-70s Barry Gibb, which means I should probably have done every line of his in a falsetto. But anyway, Saul stands under a chandelier and chats away in the next panel saying, Forgive the put-down on your digs, Mr. Wayne, Dick, but this death roll my nutty fans have dreamed up is getting to me. And while you seem the regular sort, you might have doubts too. So let's clear the record... Right now, when my three partners took off for the Himalayas a year ago to do their thing, it wasn't to go into mourning over my death in a cycle accident in London. Did they expect me to make solo appearances while the backbone of our group was away? I just dropped out of sight to dream up new arrangements and stuff till they returned. And in the next panel, we see the Oliver Twists taking the leave, walking up the stairs, as Bruce says, We get the message, Saul. Nobody will get on your back here. Alfred will show you to your quarters. They take the leave. They all of us looking back as Dick whispers, He gave me just what I wanted. Come on, Bruce. I'll need your assist. Now, I have to say, very quickly, if you look at the, the lettering mm -hmm. in panel five, look at Saul. Doesn't that S look as if it's been added later? Yeah. Look at the A. Doesn't it look a bit squinty? Yeah, huh? I can see that, yeah. Interesting. We'll have to look out and see if there's any other instances. So, the final panel of page five is captioned. Quickly exiting into the secret Batcave elevator. This is great. We should point out that Bruce is wearing the black and orange striped shirt that he had in Brave and the Bold quite recently. Mm, it's glorious. It's, it is. It's, oh, it's amazing. I think only Bruce Wayne could pull it off, quite frankly. Yeah. Or Robert Wagner at this time. <laughs> yes. 
So they're in the elevator. We get a great shot of Dick's um, Hudson University Letterman jacket, as Bruce is saying. Saul gave you what? Just what are you up to, Dick? Up to discovering the truth. If that chandelier I bugged picked up his voice clearly. Ah, which is why we've got the emphasis of the, the roof furniture. We arrive at the top of page six. The first panel is captioned. In the Batcave, Dick switches on a tape recorder. Yeah, we see a few screens and lots of equipment. We can see a record turntable and a couple of spinning tape spools. Tremendous. Dick is saying, The ear can be fooled, Bruce, but playing Saul's voice back through the sono analyzer produces a sonogram. A voice pattern print as distinctive as a footprint. But what comparison do you have? This early recording of the authentic Saul Cartwright's voice. Look! And Dick indicates a couple of screens which are showing basically some patterns of wavy lines, obviously, with the sound pattern. Dick continues, Our present guest is a fraud. They're both different. Different? Yes, but so is the source. The source? One is a singing voice, the other speaking. They would have unlike patterns, so you've proved nothing unless you can get Saul's present singing voice. Hmm. A slow dissolve. Caption for panel four says, Later, at dinner. Yes, we see Alfred bearing some food in on a tray. Bruce and Dick and uh, the twists are sat around the table getting stuck in. Bruce is saying to Saul, who has a bit of equipment in his hand, Planning to record our deathless words for posterity, Saul? This is my inseparable companion in case of sudden inspiration. Then I sing into it. Hmm. Another slow dissolve, a caption says. Then, in the dead of night. Yes, we see... Robin in costume. Sneaking into a dark room, we can see a tape recorder on the bedside table. Robin is thinking. Saul got inspired several times during dinner. His tape has just the voice I need on it, a singing one. But in case I should be spotted, better that Robin takes the rap. Final panel on page six, he's exiting the room, tape recorder in his hand. And Robin thinks, he didn't even stir. Now, with luck, I can copy this off and replace it without Saul being any the wiser. However, as we arrive at the top of page 7, the caption for the first panel says, Suddenly... Yes, and we see Robin being struck from behind with a quack sound effect. Yeah, we can't really make out who it is, but he seems to have long hair. It's almost like a karate chop to, to Robin's neck. The caption for panel 2. His head reeling, Robin clutches desperately behind him at his unseen assailant. Yeah, he manages to grab a hold of his jacket or whatever as he's wearing. The narration caption continues in panel three. And drags him down with him as he feebly fights back. Yeah, Robin falls onto his back and does a, what looks like a kind of judo flip, bringing the other person over him. The other person says, Lego blast you. And then in the next panel, with a crang, he strikes Robin in the face with the tape recorder. And then in the next panel, with a series of thumps and thumps, we see Robin falling down the stairs. The final panel of page seven has a caption. The caption says, Moments later... And Bruce Wayne has arrived in the scene. He sees Robin at the foot of the stairs, he thinks. A commotion out here. What caused... <gasps> Robin! Page 8, panel 1. As Bruce lifts the limp form... Yes, he's seen Crailing Dick and he thinks. Still breathing. Got to get him out of sight before... And then we hear a scouse voice off camera saying, Hey, who's tripping the life fantastic out here? You, Saul! Not me, Glennon. I'm no sleepwalker. Maybe Hal, Benji. Obviously, they've disturbed it all over twist. In panel two, Bruce, still holding onto his unconscious ward, ducks in against the wall. As the figures, they've obviously come out for a look. As some figures move past him. Bruce thinks, Close, but they didn't spot us. 
This needs the privacy of the Batcave. And so, catch for panel three. Seconds later... Robin is rubbing his side of his face as he comes to. Bruce says... What happened, Robin? I tried to get Saul's recorder. Then someone clobbered me from behind. I... I lost. It must have been Saul. Woken followed me. Bruce rubs his chin and says... But why his desperate interest to guard that recorder, unless he's trying to hide his voice? That could prove he's not Saul. Another slow dissolve for the next caption. The next evening, as they dress for dinner... Yeah, we can see Bruce wearing a pink shirt now, tying a nice blue and white stripy tie. Dick is fixing his cuffs. As Dick says, They all came down to breakfast looking innocent as lambs, and Saul still had his recorder. They must be in cahoots, Dick, but... There's another way to get his singing voice, as you'll soon see. And so the final panel of page 8 has a caption that says, After a curiously terse dinner... As we see Dick and the band sat round the table, Alfred standing next to light switch by the looks of things. Bruce is taking his leave, seems to be walking towards another room as he says, Everyone remain seated. I have a surprise. Alfred, would you turn the lights out, please? Which presumably Alfred will do. A tiny caption says... Continued in second page following. And so we arrive at the top of page nine, and a caption says... Moments later... And Bruce Wayne re-enters the room, reading a large cake with a single candle in it, and he excitedly and delightedly says... It's Alfred's birthday. To which the loyal butler replies... Oh, Master Bruce, you shouldn't have. Oh, Dick thinks... What a cutie. Bruce must have every place setting bugged. And now, how can Saul refuse? Then Dick says, And what better present than to be serenaded by the twists, Alfred? Happy birthday, everybody! And the caption for panel two says, For a brief moment, Saul hesitates, and then, as at an unseen signal... Great shot of the band here, it's really obvious who three of them are based on. Glennon says, We've been separated too long, gang. Benji says, Yeah, like, yeah, it's time. How continues? We sang, and so finishes, together. And then they all join in for, Happy birthday, dear Alfred, happy birthday to you. The caption for panel three of page nine then says, Later. And Dick is playing one of his tape recordings back, and we get the conclusion of, Birthday to you, as Dick says, Meaningless without Saul soloing, and the sonogram analyzer can't separate their voices. What now, Batman? I'm trying another tack, bugging their outside calls and taping them. That's an interesting panel. We can see the tape recordings swirling away. Jaggedy speech bubbles coming from them. The first voice says, Gotham Recording, Saul Cartwright of the Oliver Twists here. Could we have the use of your studio for some test taping tonight? Another voice says, Could you ever? Like, man, wow, the twists in my studio. As we arrive at the top of page 10, the conversation that Batman and Robin are earwigging on continues as the voice of the chap at the studio says, Oh, but Saul, all my engineers have left. I was just closing. Don't need them, friend. We do our own. Just leave the key under the entrance mat. We'll make it worth your while. And on hearing this, Batman and Robin move off towards the Batmobile as Batman says, Just the break we needed, Robin. Come on, we're setting up a private recording date to get a tape of Saul singing. And in the caption for panel 2 of page 10... Reactivating the Batmobile, the dynamic duo races against an unknown deadline. Then, parking out of sight... Yes, they've left the car, moving towards the studio building. You can see a doormat on the ground. Batman is saying... Under the entrance mat, he said. Simpler than 
Picking our way in, Batman, we open up, slip the key back under the mat, and reel off from the inside. They'll never guess we're hiding here. We see in panel three, Batman lifting up the doormat. We see the key underneath, the sort of pointing part of the key facing towards them. Batman says, Good plan, Robin. Except... Except what? Someone else. Says Batman as he puts the key in the door, opens the door, and then in the next panel he continues, Got that idea first. We hear three gunshots. Bam, bam, bam. There's a thump sound effect as Batman lets go of the briefcase he was carrying. In the first panel of page 11, they've run into the, the studio building. We see an inset panel of Batman switching on the light switch as he continues saying, Now, while they're still blinded by their own gun flashes, we cast further light on the situation. And we can see three figures in the room in front of them, wearing white gloves, all bearing guns, but up above, and I suppose what's the, probably the control room of the studio, there's another guy. He's also got his hands up to his face. It looks like there's a crack in the glass. Robin says, I dig. Say no more, Batman. We take them apart. In the next panel, with a crash and a kapow, we see Batman swinging on a line up to the control room, kicking through the glass and kicking the guy in there in the face. Robin swings on a piece of studio equipment as he takes out another one of the bad guys with a chung sound effect and quips, They call this a mic boom. Batman leaps back out the control room in the next panel, punching out another one of the baddies, and he says, The audition is over, friend. Robin takes another swing on the mic boom, knocking out the last of the bad guys, saying, Let's make this in stereo. I balance the left channel, now for the right. Lots of audio jokes there, that's tremendous. We arrive at the top of page 12. You see the bad guys draped everywhere in the recording studio all over the place. As Robin scratches his head and says, Looks like Saul had his own surprise party waiting for us. But how did you groove it was a trap, Batman? This key was the key. Points at the, the key in the lock to the place. Robin says, Don't put me on, Batman. The naked eye can't spot fingerprints, and those sharp thugs are wearing gloves. So how? Batman takes hold of the key in the next panel, saying, True, but when the studio owner left locking the door like this, he automatically had to put the key down like this, with the grooved end toward the door. And we see Batman lifting up the mat, showing the key with the pointy bit pointing away from him. He continues. But when we found it, it was reversed, indicating it was replaced from the inside. Robin says, So you knew someone got here before us. I think we're going to have to carry out some kind of controlled experiment on people and see if they would place keys <laughs> facing in a certain direction. Because I don't believe that for a second. Anyway, right, the next panel shows the dynamic duo legging it, casting long shadows as they do so. Batman saying, The twists have a perfect alibi. They were still home when we left. So Saul must have hired those local killers. Final panel of page 12 shows them zooming along in the Batmobile. This is the first time we've had the Batmobile in a very, very long time. Mm. And it's the proper sleek 70s Batmobile that's actually my favourite design, I'm delighted to say. Apart from, of course, the red one we had from the weird wild world last week. (laughs) Yeah, but but that wasn't the proper Batmobile. No, 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 no. no. This is the the real thing. (laughs) As they roll along, Batman is saying, But they're not the type who talk. Besides, I want it from the horse's mouth. They'll keep till we send the police. I've already got the evidence I need on Saul. You've got to be kidding, Batman. We don't even have the voice recording we came for. First caption, the first panel of page 13 says, Speeding back to the Batcave. And they're back at the sound equipment with the tape recorders and the screens. Batman is saying, After we'd left here, I realised we didn't need a singing voice anymore, but I had to follow Saul's bait through to be sure. You forget we now have the talking phone bugging tape and the first talking tape from the chandelier bug. We compare them 
and prove that Saul hired the... And we see the tape waveforms on the screens in front of them, and Batman notices something that gives him pause when he says... What? They're different. And Robin cries, Then Saul Cartwright didn't make the second call, the trap bait one. They run to the door, as Robin says, And maybe someone else attacked me to get that mini-recorder back. But who? Who? That's what we're going to find out right now, with a nose-to-nose confrontation up above. The big twist is coming, listeners, if you pardon the pun. The caption for panel 4, page 13, says, A scene of apparently untroubled at home bliss greets them. And we see the Oliver Twist sat around watching television. Left to right, Benji, wearing now an orange sort of poncho and a big medallion, Saul in a green loose sleeve top, Hal wearing a purple top, looking very much like his inspiration, and Glennon looking very much like... I imagine what Pete and I's mate Alistair Boyd would have looked like in the 70s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, let's try and work out what program they're watching because Saul is saying, he's laughing, chuckle, their late show show beats the BBC, eh, blokes? Now, that takes you right over the straight away. Listeners, in Britain, we might use the term bloke to mean a guy or a, or a fella or a man, mm-hmm. but we don't tend to use it as a, as a matey form of colloquial greeting do we no that's true unless maybe it's a, a particularly scouse thing that we're unaware of but i don't think so i don't know one of my hmv bosses who i had i knew for 15 years from liverpool and never heard him say that once he might say, i might have yeah. heard him say he's a good bloke but he wouldn't yeah. have used it in that term he might have said mates anyway what do you think they could be watching the late show what do you think that could be johnny carson maybe had he started but then i have no idea I think, yeah oh well, yeah uh-huh. listeners from across the pond be it max and rich or steve if you could tell us what that means we'd be delighted they're watching TV then as Batman and Robin burst in. Batman says, Saul Cartwright, if that's your real name. Saul looks pretty annoyed in the next panel as he responds saying, It is my name, Batman. Get off my back, both of you. I've had more of this than I'm going to take. You want to know the real story? I'll tell you. But then Glennon stands up saying, No, you won't, Saul. And he pulls a gun on Batman and Robin in the final panel of page 13 as he continues... Not after the great pains I've taken to keep them from finding out. They should have been dead by now. But since my trap didn't work, this will. First panel, page 14. Saul isn't having it. He says, Never thought you'd freak out like this, Chumley, but I won't go along with it. And he swings his tape recorder, which he always seems to have, with a chang sound effect. It knocks the gun out of Glennon's hand. Glennon cries, Ouch! Then panel 2, Robin lunges forward. Punches the bespectacled one, and Robin says, Something tells me I owe this to you for last night. Batman then says at this point, What did you just call Glennon, Saul? Chumley, his real name, just like this is really Pritchard and Gilby, as he points at Benji and Hal. And then Saul says, I'm not the phony, they are. To which Robin exclaims, What? can see in the foreground of the panel, Glennon, in inverted commas, or Chumley as Saul just called him, rubbing his face as his glasses have been knocked askew. He's down on the ground. In panel four, Saul has his face and head in his hands as he says, You heard me right. Those lads are the frauds, the put-ons, because Glennon, Benji, Hal, my good old buddies. And then he gets a very emotive close-up in the final panel of page 14 as he says, They're dead! Killed last year in a crash of a private jet and was taking him to groove with the mysteries of the East. First panel of page 15. He sat, head in hands, and one of Bruce Wayne's big expensive chairs, Batman, looming over him, casting a shadow. Saul says, they're, 
lying buried somewhere in the trackless snows of the Himalayas. I thought I could keep them alive to their devoted fans the world over by recruiting three unknown lookalikes to stand in for them. He gestures towards the other three twists as Batman and Robin look on. Saul continues, Some minor plastic surgery and almost a year of coaching, and they were good, real good. But the big trick was to prevent any wild rumours of their death springing up and upsetting the apple cart. So I dreamed up my death as a decoy to focus all curiosity on me. That way, who would even begin to suspect that anything had happened to my three teammates? Glennon, in inverted commas, looks very caught out in this panel as mm-hmm. Saul points at him, saying, And then they flew back out of their incommunicado junket in a duplicate plane right back into the hearts of their devotees. I, I only tried to preserve their image, but I hadn't figured on this one weak link. Chumley's greed. Yes, and we see Chumley, a.k.a. Glennon, looking very unhappy at being caught out. Batman puts a, a comforting hand on Saul's shoulder. In the next panel, Saul continues, which made him go to any length to protect our fraudulent group and the fastest income he's ever seen in his whole miserable life. Batman says, I believe now that you set up this cockeyed scheme with the noblest of motives, Saul, but like all dishonest put-ons, it backfired. The next panel shows them hustling Glennon towards an open door. Saul standing still with tears in his face with you know the, the ersatz Benji and Hal, or Pritchard and Gilby, And Batman looks back at them and says, You realise now that the world has to learn the true story, Saul. But if you face up to it and level with them, your fans will understand. As we do, continues Robin. Besides, if these boys are as real good as you say they are, you may have a new group and a new sound. And there's a a stunning choice of words coming here, actually. And so we arrive in the first panel of page 16, which is captioned. And so, like the legendary bird, the phoenix, a new Smash trio rises from the ashes of the old, a week later at Hudson New. Yeah, but it's obviously in a kind of concert room type space. There's a poster on the wall that says, Phoenix Trio, starring Saul Cartwright. And all the kids in the crowd are clapping along, having a great time yelling, Yay, Saul! One, one kid yells, Yay, Phoenix, we love you! Final panel shows Dick Grayson with a few of his mates. One of them says, You didn't deliver the goods we requested, Dick, but you sure came up with the biggest twist of the century. And one of the other lads says, And just so you don't come up with the biggest head, Grayson, one of the other boys concludes, Just remember you owe it all to Batman and Robin. And a smiling Dick claps along with the music as a small caption says, the, the end. end, the end, and in the end, the love you take. That's great. They, they concluded that with, with the name of a Beatles song. That's funny. Mm. Yes, well, listeners, that was obviously the Beatles that was being heavily referenced there. <laughs> Shall I quickly give the listeners some background on the real-life inspiration? Please do. Right. <clears throat> Clear's throat. The whole big Paul McCartney is dead rumour, and this is obviously what this is based on, sort of started... In October 1969, when a, a DJ in Detroit by the name of Ross Gibb took a call from a listener who claimed that Paul had been killed in a road accident on the 6th of November 1966. Mm-hmm. He'd been replaced by someone else, by an imposter, and clues to the fact that Paul had died could be found by playing the White Album track Revolution 9 backwards. Now, obviously... We don't want a copyright strike, so we're not going to play Revolution 9 backwards at this point. No. The rumour grew and grew and grew and spread worldwide. Basically, 
a kind of almost virtual rumour industry about Paul being dead sort of grew up. On the cover of the Beatles' final album, Abbey Road, there were purportedly clues to the fact that this had happened. Mm-hmm. The, there's a yeah. car in the background. There's a number plate on it that says 28F. It's part of the number plate, which is the age Paul would have been at his next birthday if he'd still been alive. People have commented on the fact that Paul is the only one barefoot on the famous Abbey Road zebra crossing mm-hmm. picture. And he's walking out of step with the other people claim that because John is dressed in white, he's a priest. Because George is dressed in blue, he's an undertaker. There were claims that the reason they grew moustaches during the Sergeant Pepper process mm-hmm. was to cover up so that the, the guy who'd replaced Paul could grow a moustache while his plastic surgery sort of healed underneath the moustache. <laughs> the back cover of Sergeant Pepper, which has a photograph of the four of them, mm-hmm. Paul is the one who's standing with his back to the camera, which is obviously what the uh... image on the cover of the Batman comic is referring to. And there was other stuff, people interpreting the lyrics of Glass Onion and I Am the Walrus and such like. In the, the film and Magical Mystery Tour, when they're performing Your Mother Should Know, mm-hmm. Paul's carnation on his lapel is black, whereas everyone else's is red. So people were just like really <laughs> properly buying into this and looking for all the signs possible they could. Now, Paul McCartney and Derek Taylor, who was a Beatles press agent, both released statements saying that it wasn't true, that he was still alive, mm-hmm. but basically no one believed yeah. him. And it only really kind of got sort of resolved when Life magazine sent some reporters to Paul's farm in Scotland. And he grudgingly, wow. after throwing a bucket of water at them initially, spoke to them and reiterated the fact that he was still alive. But the rumours, I mean, they still persist to this day. Books are written on it. There are YouTube channels and videos devoted to it. It's never something that's quite gone away. I love the fact that this comic was published on the 21st of April 1970 because basically Mm -hmm. it was so on the nose because this rumour had obviously been going for the past six or seven months in the real world. But the first that everyone knew that the Beatles were basically over was on the 10th of April, 1970. Oh, okay. Because the Daily Mirror's front page was quoting the statement, sort of fact sheet thing, the question answer interview fact sheet thing, that was released with Paul McCartney's first interview, which basically Mm -hmm. had the information or the statement from Paul that, you know, his time with the band was done. He couldn't see them working together again. And the Daily Mirror reported as Paul's quitting the Beatles, despite the fact that Lennon had already said about six months ago that he wanted a divorce and it was all over. And that's why Paul was kind of given the blame for the Beatles sort of splitting up. He's... Own solo album was released at this point, you know, and the rot had really, I think, you know, it's, it's a weird thing, like, I think the final nail in the coffin for the Beatles was when Paul and Ringo voted for Alan Klein to take over as a business manager, mm. when Paul wanted Lindy Eastman's family to do it, and this had all just tied in with the just malaise of it all for them, because, you know, they'd all gone from, like, they'd all been living in each other's pockets for years, you know, yeah. intimacy mm-hmm. becoming irritation and contempt and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. When I was first getting into the Beatles, I thought it was such a shame that they split up. But you can, uh, nowadays, I sort of think, God, it's a miracle they lasted as long as they did. The pressures on them would be enormous. So basically, yeah, listeners, this story was a very timely response to a then-current rumour. And it, it's fascinating. I can't really think of anything else that's quite as on the nose in anything I've read in comics. It's, it's good stuff. Mm. What do you think of the story then, Pete? I really enjoyed it, although it is a bit of nonsense fluff. As you mentioned, the thing with the key is a major stretch. Batman and Robin yes. hardly get anything to do in it and also Batman's very late to the party and actually figuring out what happened mm. it's not the best detective work from the dynamic duo I quite like the use of the technology that they that they had that was quite fun that was mm-hmm. nice as people people were talking about this year's Batman movie it was nice to see him doing some actual sort of detecting yeah true Mm-hmm. I think it built up the tension quite well that they, they didn't mm-hmm. get it all straight away. And I like to reveal when they realised the voices were so completely different. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe Batman was being a bit thick. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, it's quite an interesting period for Batman. Mm-hmm. It's unusual for Robin to be a co-star because Robin had moved to Hudson University. He was now a student. Yes. And he'd moved out of Wayne Manor. And as had Batman, he was actually living in a penthouse in the in the city and had a, mm-hmm. a second Batcave underneath that. Oh, really? A second Batcave? I don't think it's a... <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Did he have to mm-hmm. get it custom built? That's amazing. Oh, yeah. It was all done. Blimey. So, yeah. So, that was what was happening at the time. So, almost that sort of thing... Plus, like, the satellite era of the JLA starting around about the same time. Mm. You can see that things are definitely changing yes. a lot in DC. A definite shift. So Dick left to go to Hudson University. Now, Hudson University is a fictitious university. However, it has cropped up in other fiction as well. Oh, really? hmm <laughs> The running joke in the Law & Order franchise is Hudson University is where the bad guys go to school. Oh, right. Interesting. Because they were kind of told off early on for having students at real universities be ah. you know, suspects in crimes and things. Got you. So basically they made up this fictitious, what they thought was a brand new fictitious university called Hudson University. Named after the river, presumably. Oh yes, uh-huh. not the butler from upstairs downstairs. Was it Hudson? I can't remember. I think it was. I don't know, I've never watched it. So yeah. <laughs> So yes, that's a running joke or running theme in Law and Order. In fact, my wife and I are both big Law and Order fans, and she's got a T-shirt that actually says "Hudson University, where the bad guys go to school." <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. Amazing. So there we are. Yeah, yeah. There's there's solo Robin stories just now as well that are taking place yeah. elsewhere, but uh, good to see them back together. Yes, because I I have long coveted the Omnibus. I was a bit surprised to see that it wasn't Denny O'Neill that wrote it because mm. as we've, <laughs> some of the stories we've done recently they've been very in touch with what was going on. So uh-huh. good that it was Frank Robbins. See the same guy mm-hmm. that ended up drawing the invaders? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Oh, good. Even better then. <laughs> he also wrote some dreadful issues of The Flash. <laughs> really, really, really bad issues of The Flash. I wonder if we'll do any of them. Probably not. Let's talk a bit more about the Beatles mm. in the story. I mean, I love the fact that the John Lennon figure really looked like John and the other two really yeah. did look like George and Ringo, but the Paul McCartney uh-huh. guy looked nothing like him. Yeah. What about the fact that... <laughs> Ages before the release of Wildlife, mm-hmm. Paul, in effect's new band is Phoenix, because, you know, Phoenix yes. is a bird and birds have wings. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that mental? That's fantastic. That's the Earth One version of Wings. It must, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wings, the band the Beatles could have been. Yes, obviously somewhere down the line, I can't remember which album on, Paul McCartney's got a song called Magneto and Titanium Man, which if this was mm. the, the Doctor Who podcast that I was formerly associated with, we'd probably play it with that. No, I love this. I mean, the little reference to the pink submarine. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised there weren't more Beatles jokes sort of scattered in. Yeah. You know, there was one I thought was maybe a, a reference where Batman says, get back, but not get yes. back, get back, but he gets <laughs> and then something back, which I don't know. That's possible. Mm. Unlikely, you know. I admire their restraint at not filling up every sentence with you know, with someone saying help. Uh, I saw something, you know. What, what did you say? <laughs> well, I saw her standing there, but it may have been yesterday. Yeah. Wait, you know, all that sort of stuff. I feel fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Drop that revolver, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, one, one interesting thing kind of thought that I think I must comment on that just picks up from what you said is I liked how it sort of started with Robin and ended with Robin. Mm-hmm. Yes, started, uh-huh. with, started with with Dick Grayson and finished with him. So, I mean, mm-hmm. in many ways, it's you know, it's another Robin story, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Batman's almost the guest in his own book. Yeah, yeah. that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. No, I love this. I mean, when did can you remember when you first properly became aware of the Beatles? The Beatles, 
I can't say I do, but I remember when I was young, I had a Beatles album. It wasn't one of their main albums. It was like Rock and Roll Music Volume 1 or something like that. It was right. a compilation album. Uh, yeah. And it had stuff like Twist and Shout on it and things like that. Yeah. So it was, but I loved it. It was great. And I was a fan ever since. Uh-huh. But yeah. Yeah. My sort of earliest memories of all of them are hearing stuff like, I was born in 73, so it was a while after the event. I can remember hearing Lady Madonna and Yesterday on the radio all the time when, when I was a kid before mm-hmm. I started school. And I remember having some vague awareness of, of the Beatles as a thing. But, but when John Lennon died, I couldn't understand the fuss. Mm-hmm. I was like seven. Sure. Couldn't understand the fuss. And it was a while before it dawned on me that he was one of the Beatles. And I was aware of Paul right. McCartney and Wings and hadn't uh-huh. realised that he was in the Beatles because obviously Mull of Kintyre was such a big deal, especially in our part of the of world. Of course, at the time, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't become a Beatles fan until I went to college. I was such a keyed up little dweeb and there was a band that I liked called Airhead who were interviewed in a magazine when they sort of said that they all lived in the same house, but it wasn't like help or anything. And I knew that one of the guys in my college course mm-hmm. was a Beatles fan and had help on VHS. So he lent me it. It was like a light going on. <laughs> Everything <laughs> changed. Everything changed. There we are. I can really divide my life into before Beatles and afterwards. I, I love the Beatles and I love the fact that we've, we've managed to almost justify <laughs> doing this comic yeah, it is a bit of a stretch, however. But hey, it's fun, isn't it? And, you know, yeah. if we can't bend the rules or stretch things, you know, mm-hmm. every so often, then then what's the point? Going back to the story a wee bit. Uh, yes. I really enjoyed the artwork in this, although it seems a lot of it's very kind of perfunctory. It is almost as if Irv Novik's kind of still doing a bit of Batman TV show with it. But then you get things like the final panel on page 14, which looks at pure Neil Adams. Well, the final, I would say the, the final panel on page three looks pure Neil Adams as well, you know, with the aircraft mm-hmm. arriving and stuff. And oh, yes. The, uh-huh. some, some of the tilts and stuff are... Yeah. You're right. I mean, there's some imagination in some of the layouts. Mm-hmm. And then some of it, as you're right, looks a bit kind of yeah empty. I, I get I get the sense that it's possible. I mean, given the timing of, of everything that was going on, it's possible the story might have been drawn very quickly. Yeah. They might have gone, let's try and do this one quickly so that we can get it into a comic. Yeah. I love Batman looming over uh, Saul, Saul in the armchair, and casting yeah. the shadow behind him. It yes. looks great. It almost looks like Saul's casting the shadow because it's like yeah. directly behind him, but it looks yeah, fantastic. It's very, it is, it is very effective. And I, say, I like the likenesses mm-hmm. of them all. And you know, I like the scenes of Batman and Robin creeping about trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great. I also like the fact that Bruce Wayne referred to Robin as Robin when he was in the costume. Of course. So that was quite good. Even though there was no one else around, it was, I, I like that sort of stuff. It's yeah, that's, yeah, me too, man. It keeps up the pretense. It's good. Yeah. Another quick reference we should probably point out, obviously, is when Bruce talks about being an executive member of um, a stockholder of Eden Records, and that's probably mm-hmm. a play on of course the Apple, Apple, isn't it? Yes, of course. So it's all there, kids. It's all there. Mm. Yeah, and like we said at the cover, with the John Lennon guy being barefoot, that's obviously got to be a direct reference to, to what people were saying about yeah. Paul being barefoot in the cover of Abbey Road. It's, mm-hmm. it's very informed. It's a delight, this comic. It really is. <laughs> Readers, you won't be surprised to know that I've been I've been putting together a selection of Beatles-themed or Beatles-homaging <laughs> comic covers to put on the socials <laughs> this week. That's obviously in the next few days. Pete, do we have any contemporary correspondence about this one? We certainly do. If we skip ahead to issue 226, Andy Letters to the Batcave. And the first letter says, Dear Editor, Batman blows my mind, <laughs> especially the new Batman issue 222, June 1970, was the most fantastic satire I have ever read, and I've read quite a few. Satirising the Paul McCartney death hoax was a great idea for a story to show how stupid the whole thing was. 
Naming the Beatles the Oliver Twist was an excellent idea because of the twist ending. Also, it was a Dickens of a story. Sorry about that. And that's from Samuel P. Schrager from Ashbury Park, New Jersey. Yeah, I suppose the, the twist aspect is probably a reference to Twist and Shout as well, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is the Azibel song that they covered. So the editorial response basically sets up the next letter, which is a very tiresome extended golf motif. <laughs> it does touch, again, the, this correspondent does touch on the, the Paul McCartney death rumours, which is fine. But the next letter goes like this. Dear Editor. Mind you, I didn't expect anything spectacular from Batman 222. After all, with Robin back at the nest with his guardian, we couldn't hope to see the creature of the night Batman that we've grown accustomed to during the last few months. That's obviously, I suppose, talking about what Neil Adams was doing. Mm -hmm. I instead grimly prepared myself for the revival of the super scientific and very unmysterious Batman of the late 60s. I was almost right. With the burden of the boy wonder, the dark detective could not be the silent, brooding, sinister figure hovering quietly over the city whose very presence terrorises all who gaze upon him. And as I foresaw, Robin was still punning his way through practically every action panel. No, he wasn't. A little bit. No much. However, I did notice that he tried to save face by a few well-placed shadows and by keeping the cape as long and flowing as possible. You get a point for effort anyway. Well, that's nice. A small word about the technical end of 222. I'm truly sorry Mr. Robbins found it necessary to do a poorly contrived Batman-style investigation of the dead Beatles scare of a few months back. Please, Mr. Robbins, if you find it necessary to be topical or in or whatever, at least try to do it well. Ooh, <laughs> tough crowd. The art in this issue did not settle much better with me than the story did. I know there are those who believe that Novik Giordano have a great mood or atmospheric qualities, but I disagree. Ooh. As much as I try, I cannot enjoy an Irv Novik penciled Batman story. Unless the inker literally repencils everything, the characters loom awkward and just as often look like they're in extreme pain. Perhaps Mr. Novik draws their pants on too tightly. That kind of disagree with most of that. It was a fun story. Come on. Yeah, me too. That letter's from Leonard Yuli, or Yuli from Beverly Hills, California. Oh, well. And the editorial response to that is another tiresome golf motif. Pete's going to read the next letter. Dear Editor, Dead Till Proven Alive was a very cute and exciting story. This is a rare combination, and Frank Robbins gets nothing but roses, minus the thorns, from me on this fine effort. The return of the Batman-Robin team was so smoothly handled that it seemed as fitting as a sunny day in spring. Irv Novik should be highly praised for his interpretation of the Batman. I dig it. <laughs> and that's from Peter J. Town from Norway in Maine. And the final letter says, Dear Editor, very sneaky. Yes. Very sneaky indeed. I'm talking about dead till proven alive. I noticed how close Saul is to Paul. Even my sister caught how close Cartwright is to McCartney. It sure was a switch ending. It was very cute how you worked things out. When the night is cloudy and Frank Robbins can make more stories like this, let it be. And that's from Marianne Gwynn, East Falmouth, Massachusetts. Yeah, I am convinced. I think I said this while we were recording and doing the story. Mm-hmm. There are some panels where it really does look as if it's been re-lettered. Yes. And the SA has been, you know, has been squeezed in. Yeah, white out over the, the P and we've turned it into an S, yeah. Uh-huh. It's really, I think it's really conspicuous on page 14, panel 3. Mm-hmm. And whichever one of the other ones. Yeah, I mean, page 6, panel 4. Right, okay. And panel five, actually, I think. So, listen, doubtless we'll put some of these offending panels on the socials. So, mm-hmm. I think this comic's quite expensive. Now, I got mine for, for about a fiver at the 1994 Glasgow Comic Art Convention. Ah, okay, cool. 
so I'm told it's quite an expensive one now. So listeners, you might have to you may have to dig deep in your pockets if you want to read along with us. <laughs> what can yeah. I say? I don't think it's in the DC Infinite app either, unfortunately. Controversial. So, yes. Anyway, listeners, thank you for indulging us. I had a great time reading this one. Did you now? Yeah. Could you? Could you not I've tell? I've never a guest. Did do do don't do. Yes. I've really enjoyed doing this episode. Thank you, Peter, for agreeing with me and indulging me. It's the most Beatles DC comic fun I've had since Paul McCartney and his Superman and Jimmy Olsen collection in Help when he sat at his little organ. Of course. I'll see if I can find a photograph of that for the socials. That'll be fun. Pete Yes. where can everyone find our socials? Well, on Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast and Twitter at podcast underscore Earth 2. And you can even write to us at the Earth 2 Podcast at gmail.com and tell us what you think about this story and what your favourite song by the Oliver Twists is. Yes. I mean, this is before the Ruttles. It's hilarious. Yeah, listeners, do write <laughs> in. Let us know your favourite Beatles Batman related puns or favourite Batman or DC comic related Beatles puns. That'd be a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Yeah, if you're feeling generous, you could go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and leave us some positive comments or reviews. That would be a lot of fun. Be nice to have. Good for our profile, I'm told. Etc. Hmm. Etc. Et there we are. And on that note, unless you have something else to add, we'll get back to the wind up and we'll both say good night. <laughs> Pete, see these these Beatles puns, they're getting better. Couldn't get no worse. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, from me to you, thank you for joining us. Hopefully you won't have a hard day's night. And <laughs> any disagreements Pete and I have had about doing this issue, we'll, we can work it out. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say hello, goodbye, and we'll see you again very soon. Perhaps even yesterday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, 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 dear. Anyway, on that note. You've been listening to The Earth 2 Podcast. podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. It's Alfred's birthday. To which the loyal butler replies, Oh, Master Bruce, you shouldn't have. Oh, you'd be happier than that. Come on. <laughs> I'll try to do sarcastic, Alfred.